When did the idea for Passion Flix begin? Passion Flix, the idea of Passion Flix came about, uh, was actually Joni's idea. Joni Kane is our uh, founding partner. She had the idea quite a few years ago. Uh, she wanted to, when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, she was wondering why there isn't a place for us to watch romance novels that have been turned into movies when the movie was such a success. So she actually uh, got the URL, passionflix.com, and said, I'm going to do this. And then many years later, nothing happened to it until one uh, New Year's Eve, she decided, I'm going to make it happen, and she booked a flight to LA. And it just so happened that Joni and I had met a few months prior to that. She had watched a movie of mine on ION called You Cast a Spell on Me. And she contacted me the next day and said, I absolutely loved your movie. I loved how you directed that movie. And I would be, uh, I would really love it if you would take one of my movies and direct that. Um, and normally I, you know, you get a lot of people that solicit you and, um, and so normally you just know I'm going to ignore that. But I couldn't, her note was so sweet and she was just so open in her communication to me that I was like, okay, let me have a look at the script. I read it and I was like, she can really write. She's a good writer. So let's meet. And then we tried to make that, we tried to bring that movie to a network, but uh, no one would buy it because it was a little too sensual. It was a little too risque. It had to do with magic. And that doesn't really work well with a lot of network television. So uh, that didn't work. But when she came over here uh, that February, at beginning of February, we sat down and had lunch with our other partner, Gina. And over tuna fish sandwiches, she told us this thought that she had of passion flicks, and we went, great, it's a great idea, we're going to do it with you. And we literally started the next day um, on founding, basically I had to create the company, the business plan, put together a full proposal, come up with the idea of how we're going to do all this. And, um, and then I spent the next few months raising money, and uh, well, it was about a year to raise the money and then optioned books and made our first feature last March. So I know you- Long answer. <laughs> well, no, that's really interesting. So you had never really, you didn't know Joni from, and that's her name, sorry, Joni yeah. Right. You didn't know her previously. It was just that initial email and you just sort of went on a gut feeling that, wow, this could be somebody I want to work with. I went, uh, yes, well, writers, um, so the answer is yes. I didn't know Joni very well at all, except for the communication we'd had on the one screenplay that she'd written. And that screenplay was good. And when you, as a director, get to work with a screenwriter and they are um, they're open to your comments and your notes and they adjust the screenplay according to how you see it as a filmmaker, that, that collaboration just forms a deep partnership to begin with. So I didn't know her personally, I'd never met her in, in person until February, but we'd worked together by email and phone calls for a few months prior to that. And so as a filmmaker, I knew her well. I see, okay. So then you raised, was it 4.7 million in seed funding? 4.75. 4.75, okay. Yeah, okay. Like 4.753. <laughs> okay, right. okay, good to know. Um, so can you just briefly tell us how this happened? Did you have specific people in mind you know you wanted to approach? or? Well, so that was the difficult part. Firstly, I'm related to a lot of people that have raised a lot of money, which is helpful. And so I went to them for advice. What do I do? Who do you approach? And they basically said, everybody. You just go to anybody. You just constantly tell what the idea is to every single person that you meet. 
and somebody is going to say, hey, I have somebody that might be interested in that. And that's what happened. So I literally just went to every single person that I knew and I said, that had any ability to, to invest. And I said, this is the idea, this is what I'd like to do, do you have any advice for me and would you be interested in coming on board? And some people came on board with $5,000, some people came on board with $50,000. So it wasn't, they weren't huge amounts, but almost everybody that I spoke to wanted to participate because they think the idea is really good. I'm always wondering how that happens. Is it a long email? Is it a phone call? Is it when you see them at an event? All of those things. So. I will take the opportunity to tell people about Passion Flicks every single place that I go. So it'll be at a coffee shop while I'm wearing a Passion Flicks t-shirt and I will tell the people there. It will be at a lunch, it'll be at an event, it'll be, I do send emails, I don't send long emails because most of the people that you're dealing with don't have time to read long emails and they'll ignore them. So short and to the point with very specific information in it and what you want. What it is that you're looking to do, what it is you want and I'm happy to provide you with any further supportive documents for you to review this. That was basically what I do. I'm about to do it again because we need to do another raise. Okay. So is it similar to raising money for a film or is it, are they two separate animals in some sense? Raising money for a film is, uh, it is different because here I'm raising money for a company that is a distribution company that has an, uh, an overall goal which is to empower women through emotional strength, while at the same time owns multiple movies. So we are not making one movie, we're making 50. So if you invest in Passionflix, you get a part of all 50 movies that we own forever. So should the company not do well as a distribution company, you still have all these assets and you're able to sell them and hopefully we'll make that $50,000 back. I'm sure we will. Um, so that's why it's not a difficult um, ask when it comes to investment because when you're looking for an investment in one single picture it's basically saying hi I have a movie I want to make I'm gonna spend three million dollars on this movie can you give me some money and hopefully everybody else likes this movie and I can get a distributor and I can get it into the theaters or get it into DVD or sell it in the foreign market and hopefully we'll make our money back and then you can get your 20% so that's the filmmaking the individual filmmaking side which is it's a different beast and there are a lot of people that want to invest that way, specifically in California uh, or in the U.S. I mean, there's there's tax write-offs that are involved. There's you know all these different things that are um, positive for investors to invest in individual films, but that's not what we're looking for. So today's action blockbusters are all the rage, and I know there's a lot of debate over uh, whether it's actually good content. Do you feel that romance films are dwarfed by these? action blockbusters? I don't actually. I think, I mean, they're not dwarfed by the action blockbusters. The ones that do well, the action blockbusters, tend to have a romance in them. So I would consider them romances in many ways. Even Wonder Woman had a romance in it. It just so happens that she was the lead and she was stronger in the relationship. Um, so I don't. I think that in order for us to have great movies, there's generally a little bit of romance in all of them, personally, for me. Um, my concern is more so the negative content that comes out. So much of our content that we're watching right now has a negative spin to it. Everything's depressing. Somebody did something wrong to you or hurt you and it has a more of a negative side to it. And, and I think that we need 
romance movies in order to bring back the positive. We need to have positive outlooks on relationships and people and look at people in a positive way as opposed to all these negative movies. So my concern is more the negative movies than the action blockbusters. I love an action blockbuster. Oh, do you, well, I know, I think Xanadu is, mm -hmm. what was that your favorite uh, film growing up? It was my favorite film when I, you know, when I watched it, <laughs> I was four. <laughs> uh -huh. um, when it came to South Africa, I think it was a few years after it was released here. And, um, I, you know, I love Xanadu. Xanadu is the story of a muse. I mean, a muse who helps an artist be as creative as he can. And, and so that's, I mean, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful love story. And she, you know, leaves Xanadu to be with him. And it's, it's a beautiful love story. So for, even from a young age, you just remember just falling sort of in love with love stories. It, it just drew you in? Uh, I have, yeah, I've always been in love with love stories. I think that it's, again, it's, it's showing people in a positive relationship. That's, you know, there's always struggles. There's always something that's going to be difficult within this relationship. And you have to figure out your way to, on, on how to get through it in order for you to be together. Or yeah, whether it be in a friendship or a relationship, or work partnership, I think that um, showing relationships in a positive light is really important and I've always enjoyed watching that in movies and I think that our best movies that have ever come out are romances I mean you can look at anything Titanic is a romance Avatar is a romance I think James Cameron basically got the romance genre down <laughs> even though he's surrounded by sci-fi um, but uh, you know our top movies are romances and I think that people should watch them well, it's a nice twist, too, because we see so many of these, uh, quote, movies geared toward women mm -hmm. where someone's being stalked, someone's right. in an abusive relationship or feels sort of hemmed in in her middle class world or whatever. So it sounds like you're, you're really about uh, maybe uh, not just empowering them, but also then you add sort of the sexuality aspect, which how is that perceived in the States? I'm sure in other countries it's probably more embraced yeah. than here. Um, well, so... Lots of good questions there. Uh, so the the main thing about sexuality in the U.S. with women is that you know it's taboo. We're not allowed to talk about it. We have to whisper it. We're not allowed to say anything. Right. Heaven forbid you have sex with somebody. Um, whereas men can talk about it very openly and in fact can brag about it and it's seen as part of their everyday conversation. Uh, and I think that that's wrong. I think that women should have the ability to discuss openly any sexual activity that they're having with their friends or with their lovers, I think in order for them to be empowered in their sensuality and their sexuality. And I think that will ultimately, if we can get to that place, which is what Passionflix hopes that we can uh, get to, then um, I think that we would have a little bit more strength when it comes to maybe sexual harassment. Uh, if we are able to openly say, no, this is not what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is how I feel about sex. This is how I feel about sensuality. Then I think that we'll be a little bit more open, a little bit more confident in our ability to deal with a lot of sexual harassment. So it probably sounds like showing women living normal lives, being quote good girls, but also being okay with the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to brand them as bad girls in terms of what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, so the other thing with Passion Flicks is that we want to be able to show women, normal women. So yes, we have a lot of shows out there which are women in jeopardy. So we have, as you mentioned, we have the shows where um, something's wrong with us, our husbands are cheating on us, our boyfriends are going to try and kill us, our children hate us. Um, there's all these things that we have to deal with uh, that are pretty negative in our lives and how do we go about 
doing it and you know the neighbor is going to try and kill us so I have to try and kill the neighbor first and all these different things and that's one way of going and then we have you know more the sort of cupcake movies which is um, I like to call them more the domestication of women where you have I am a top you know vice president of a fortune 500 company in New York City but I'm unfulfilled in life because nobody loves me until I go back to my small town in Kansas because my father had a stroke, I took over the bakery, I've learned how to bake a cupcake, I've realized this is really the life for me, I've fallen in love with a carpenter and he marries me. How nice, I get to stay in that town and bake cupcakes. But there's nothing wrong with being the vice president of a Fortune 500 company and someone will love you and you don't have to bake cupcakes in small towns in order for that to be okay. So I think that it's important that we show women can be anything from a cupcake baker, teacher, to a CEO, and still find fulfillment and love and sexuality. And I don't think it has anything to do with their job. I understand that Passion Flicks has an acronym that you use, B-O-N, yes. it's a rating system. I'm wondering if we can talk about some of the levels of film. Yes, we have a BON system. We call it the BON, which is the Barometer of Naughtiness. And we wanted that, as opposed to having an MPA screening, uh, uh, rating, which an MPA rating, which you know is a little unclear and tends to deal with more violence um, and, and, and you know swearing, things like that. Almost all romance novels have swearing in them, so we're just going to have to just accept that. Our platform is more for 18 and above, so that's um, so so keeping that in mind, um, we say romance is for 18 to 80. But so keeping keeping that in mind. Um, we have a bond system so that we can understand where on the naughtiness factor um, this movie will fall. So we have a one, which is oh so vanilla. We have two, mildly titillating. Three, <laughs> passion and romance. We'll have a sex scene, but we don't really, we don't show um, nude, much nudity. nudity. Nudity is something that's very much so on the male gaze as opposed to the female gaze. I love to know that they're naked and having a great time, but I don't need to see them naked and having a great time. Um, it's not porn. Um, and then we have four, which is toe curling yumminess, because that just makes you so excited. Um, and then five, which is not safe for work. <laughs> not safe for work is a, um, a, an acronym, is that right? It's a, an, a NSFW is what they use for uh, romance novels when they want to say that this is a little bit more risque. Interesting. Yeah, so like Fifty Shades of Grey would be not safe for work. I'm just curious, would you think women would really be watching some of these at work? Or? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> not if we say not safe okay. for work. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, so we have one movie, Hollywood Dirt is uh, not safe for work. And then we have Afterburn, Aftershock, that's toe curling yumminess. Then we have uh, The Trouble with Mistletoe, which is passion and romance. And then we'll have The Matchmaker's Playbook, which will come out in March. And that will be... Uh, mildly titillating because it's younger it's it's um, students in university okay. okay and I know you had one called tissues and ice cream is that right or so we have categories <laughs> yes we've also then divided our, our movies into categories because we feel that women um, we relate to feelings we want to know how, how am I going to feel if I watch this movie so when you go to other you know platforms they'll have sweet November next to Notting Hill because they're both romances and, but if you have watched Ronnie Hill, you realize it's a beautiful romantic comedy and you'll laugh and you'll be pretty happy at the end. If you watch Sweet November, you're going to cry and people die. So <laughs> those movies should not be in the same category. 
Um, while it's still a beautiful story, it should not be in the same category. So we wanted to take the romance genre and divide it up into areas that um, can help you understand how you'll feel afterwards. So we have chutzpah and hoo-ha for strong woman, uh, tissues and ice cream for a good cry, because every girl needs a good cry. And uh, love and laughter, we have Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy that's coming out soon. <laughs> we have Thrill Me. We'll have Spank Me soon. Oh, wow. Um, bite Me when our vampire shows come out. That is not safe for work, yeah. But <laughs> some of them are. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, yes, we have, we have, and then we have Senses and Sensuality when we're doing dancing and food and things like that. So we have, we have all these different categories that are really fun but help us to understand how you're going to feel. What's your criteria for choosing the books that you have someone adapt or you yourself adapt? That's a very interesting question. How do we choose the books? Um, generally speaking, Joni Kane reads the books. She'll go, she, we call her the Rain Man of Romance. She knows everything about all these romance novels, which is great. Um, so she'll read a number of books. She gets all, all the submissions go to her. And then um, once she has a number of them, she'll send us little short synopsis. She'll sort, uh, send a short synopsis to me and Gina of the different books. Uh, and suggest which ones we should read next and then we'll read them and then we decide together which ones we'll make an option. So a lot of the times it has to do with authors that we've met. Uh, so, uh, you know, authors that we've met, books that have done really well. Obviously it makes a big difference if the book's done really well for us on the platform because we're so new. We need to have bestsellers because, you know, the more people know about the book, the more people are going to come to the platform and watch it. Um, so, and then we like to choose something that's a little different. For each movie that we're gonna do next, we wanna make sure that it's just different than the one that was before. So we did, uh, so we did Hollywood Dirt, which was, you know, country, sweet, sassy, um, you know, but it's in the country, it's a, it's a southern movie. And then we did Afterburn, Aftershock, which is New York City. Uh, and then we did The Trouble with Mistletoe, which is uh, a beautiful Christmas movie. And now we do The Matchmaker's Playbook, which is younger and university and then we're going to do the next one that we'll do is um, I don't know if I should announce it I haven't announced it to anybody yet but uh, it depends on when this is coming out <laughs> um, this the next one we'll do is going to be most likely royally screwed because we want to do something to release alongside the royal wedding but it's different so each one is just a little bit different than the others and then we'll do um, Kay Bromberg's Driven series We'll do Wicked this year. Uh, Jennifer Armitrout shares a three book series and we'll turn that into a series. That'll be our first series. We're gonna do Dark Pleasures by Julie Kenner. We'll do The Protector by Jodie Ellen Malpas, who I love, she's such a supporter of Passion Flicks. And uh, I know we're, oh, we're doing The Will by Kristen Ashley. We have a lot to do this year. I gotta get started. Whew. <laughs> Have you ever seen a book that gets great reviews, let's say on Goodreads or Amazon, or it's on the New York Times bestseller list, but when it comes to adapting it, it doesn't quite work, and then in the reverse, one that maybe doesn't have as strong of a following, but somehow just really works for film? Absolutely. That happens all the time. So there are a number of books that are, are number one on the bestseller list, and they'll send it to us and say, here it is, number one, and it sold a million copies, which is huge, whatever, and um, can you make this into a movie? And we can't, we can't. We, we actually cannot, it, it's, some of them are just a little too aggressive for us. And so it, it might play well in a book because you can 
um, hear the person's, you can read the person's thoughts in the book. So you understand what they're thinking when they're going through this more sort of alpha male aggression side. But on, in a movie, uh, I can't have them, you know, emote as much. So, I, but I can't show that kind of aggression either. It's not our platform. It's also not what we're looking to do. So some of it can be a little aggressive. Some of them just don't work. The dialogue doesn't work or this, there's not enough of a story in there. Two people meeting is great. and and. The conflict that they have to go to in order to ultimately be together is something that when you're reading in a book is a wonderful thing to go on the journey with them. But if there's not enough actual stuff that happens story-wise, there's not much I can do to turn it into a movie. You say that the authors are sometimes really the stars of the film because a lot of times you'll use people that maybe don't have total sort of name recognition, but they have a huge following, these authors, and that people are definitely going to gravitate toward them? Yeah, uh, the, the authors are the stars. I mean, firstly, we wouldn't have this idea if it wasn't for the authors. We're big fans of the romance community and the authors themselves. We love the books. They're fun, they're empowering, they are a great escape for us. And so, yeah, we, we look at the authors as the stars. So we, for us, it's very important that we hire actors that look the part, that can act, and that the authors approve. So we actually go through a, a whole casting process with the authors. So while we have the script, we'll send it out to breakdown services, or actors will be submitted to us. Uh, as soon as, if I'm directing, I'll go through them and say, these are the ones that I'm liking, and then I'll send them off to the authors and I'll say, who do you want? What are you looking for? If you had your ideal pick of a person, what, who, who is he? Do you have any pictures of somebody in mind that you would like? Um, and oftentimes the authors don't have a, an actor in mind. They didn't have somebody in mind when they created them. It was somebody that they just came up with, which is great, much easier for us. But, um, and then they'll just send us a picture or they'll say, well, he has brown hair and blue eyes and he has a bit of scruff and he has a, you know, he's chiseled here and obviously they all have to have six pack abs. I mean, it's just... <laughs> it's important. Yes. Do you have the authors with you on set? Very often. Um, for... Uh, for both, uh, f for the three movies that I directed this last year, the, the, the authors were with us quite often. So uh, Alessandra Torre came on to Hollywood Dirt. Fortunately, she lived very close to where we were shooting, so she would actually come up quite often with her husband and son. And it was such a pleasure, it's such a pleasure having them with me on set as a director because I can direct the scene and then I can immediately turn to them and say, hey, is that how you envisioned it? I'm just checking. I want to make sure that I'm doing this the way that you pictured it as well. And they go, yes, this is amazing. That's exactly how I saw it. Great, let's move on. Um, and if there's ever a chance where they've said, uh, it's not quite how I pictured it. I sort of pictured him walking in with his hands on his hips or being something else. I was like, great, well, let's do it that way then. Let's try it. And, uh, and then we just work with the actors accordingly. And the actors are also very into it. They want to make sure that they're portraying these characters the way that the authors see them as well. So everybody works together as a team to make sure that we're bringing the right thing to life. And that they, it's really helpful to have the author there. Yeah, because I would think that the author would know so much about the pulse of what the fans related to. Yeah. And, and you always hear that, that that's kind of where the adaptation falls apart, is where the original lovers of the book somehow, you know. So knowing that, I'm sure they've know the 
their fans inside and out what they love. Yeah, I think they know their fans inside and out. And, and at the end of the day, we can't please everybody. Sure. So there are going to be fans out there who say this is a terrible adaptation, and I hate for you. I hate you to do it. I hated. I hated every minute of it. They could say that. Um, so the only thing that I can do as a filmmaker is make sure that the author is pleased. And if the author loves it, then my hope is that the fan will love it too. So that's our goal. Make sure the author loves it, and then go from there. Yeah, I think I watched two different behind-the-scenes uh, like featurettes of, of both authors, I think, on set. And it was like a small Georgia town, and yeah. it looked really just like this safe sort of set where I felt like, oh, I would want to be here. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. I kind of wish I could have been there, too. It was <laughs> so. so much fun. Shooting in Georgia was a wonderful experience. But making that movie was just a wonderful experience overall. But I think all of, them, all of the movies that we've made for Passion Flicks have been a very positive, fun experience. Uh, it's always great to meet all these men that come on to portray these roles and I as a woman get to tell them how they need to treat women. <laughs> and then they listen and then they do it and it affects their lives in a very positive way and that makes me happy. And I bet that it's it's really, it's such a science in terms of where someone's touching them or, I know you said you don't really show too much nudity. Yeah. Um, well, we don't show nudity because I don't think that is what women want to see. I don't particularly want to see naked people having sex on screen. If you do, that's porn and that's great and go ahead. Um, but in Hollywood Dirt, we the, 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 the two were naked, so we could have shown it all, but that wasn't what the um, that wasn't what the scene was about. It was about connection and intimacy. And so we do see uh, breasts and nipples for a little bit, but we don't focus on it. It's not That's not the focus or the point of these two people connecting. Um, so we do have some nudity, we just don't exploit it. Um, and then with regards to how people touch, it's, it's not, I mean it's a science, sure, but it's more of a gaze. You know, we're used to seeing um, movies where men will gruffly pull you in and you know, this is how we're gonna have sex and you know, go um, you know, physically touching women in ways that can be a little bit more aggressive, which is, you know, everybody to their own, you know. But the way that we do it in Passion Flicks is sensuality and connection. So when we want to see, what we want as women is for a man to longingly touch us on the face or the arm or gently lead us or guide us through a room by putting his hand on the small of our back, you know, not um, grabbing our arms and pulling us or, you know, um, you know, grabbing you. grabbing you for a kiss is always great, but um, doing it in a more connective way is what we want to make sure that we portray. Less caveman. Less caveman. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> We've seen the caveman. We once. have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we want sensuality and connection. When you or one of your co-founders is developing a story for a script phase, what would you say are like three to five? notes that are quite common that you're giving back to either them or the author about you know adapting the script? The first note is always that it's too long. <laughs> the scripts that I normally get are far too long. We need to cut them down because adapting a book is hard, especially when you try to keep everything in the screenplay that's in the book. So you have to go through it and decide what is, that's, what's in the book that doesn't need to be in the screenplay. And that's a difficult decision to make because you don't want to upset the author or the fans by leaving out something that's important to them, but at the same time you can't take a 400 page book and turn it into a 100 page script and keep everything in it. 
um, you'd have to have a very, very long movie. Um, so that's the number one comment, is that it's, it's normally too long. Uh, the other thing that is, is generally a note that I give as a filmmaker is that the characters uh, have a lot of monologues. So we need to cut their dialogue as well. Because while you're in a book and you can read all of this dialogue, and it's great because they're you know, emoting correctly, they're <laughs> emoting to their partner, they're telling them how they feel, in a screenplay when, or a movie, when you have dialogue that takes up a page, that's one minute of hearing somebody talk about their feelings, which is very hard to watch on screen. So you, it's, it's difficult for us to do that. So normally it's about taking the, the dialogue and cutting it, trimming it down. Um, the other, what are the other notes? The other notes are, it really depends on how the adaptation is done. Uh, oftentimes I will say there's not enough sensuality in there. I like to have three sex scenes or three implied sex scenes in a movie. And so, because I think that it's important, this is a sensual platform, so we want to be able to have something that's a little sexy. And it's not three times having sex, it's, um, you know, let's say, for example, in Hollywood Dirt, uh, they did have sex the one time, and then they had uh, phone sex, which was quite, which was funny and entertaining. And initially, it wasn't in the screenplay because we thought well, maybe it wouldn't go over well with the crowd. And they were like, nope, we're putting it in. And then, of course, they have the beautiful lovemaking uh, at the end. And then in uh, Afterburn, Aftershock, we um, have, you know, we have a sex scene, and then we have. Um, uh, then we have a blowjob scene. And it's like, oh, nobody wow. ever does blowjob scenes. Great, let's do that, that's fun. <laughs> and it's also very, it was a very empowering scene for the woman as well, because it was a controlling scene for her. It helped her in her personality, and it, it, uh, it, was, a, it was definitely empowering. You should watch it. Um, I'll make funny. a note. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then, and of course, then we have their you know, lovemaking scene where they're passionately together. So. Sometimes when I'll, I'll read them, I'll say there isn't enough sensuality in the script, but also sometimes the sex scenes will be put in and they're far too graphic. And I'm like, wow, this is not a book. You've got to tone that down because I'm going to send it out to actors. And if I send it out to actors and they see something that's a little bit we're more used to seeing in an erotica novel, they're probably not going to respond very well to the script. So I'd rather discuss that with the actor than have it put into the screenplay. So normally it's make sure the sex scenes are in there, but make sure we're saying them in an eloquent and, and elegant manner. Um, so that's the other notes. What other notes would I have for them? Um, you know, normally it comes to me pretty great. So it's very fortunate that we have good stories to begin with. I don't really have story notes. Most of the time the stories are told. I'll just shorten it. So, and this sounds very formulaic, but are, is there a certain point within the film that there must be a sex scene? No. Uh, no, okay. There's not a certain, because I know with horror, they say, well, we've got to have a kill, the first whatever. I know. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, not that, okay. No, we don't, have, we don't have a formula where the sex scenes need to happen in a specific time frame. The main thing for us is that the two characters meet within a certain time frame. So we want them to meet within the first 10 minutes of the movie because otherwise we're not entirely sure what we're doing here. We don't feel the chemistry or the attraction. Sometimes if you have a sex scene that's too early on, you feel there's no reason to continue going because they have connected 
and you're done. Okay, great. You've, you've, you've achieved your goal. Let's move on. So, um, no, we don't have a specific timeline for the sex scene. And again, you say that you, you try to tone down like the graphic nature of it. So forgive me if this is too, I'm just trying to think of the yeah. blowjob scene. Like how yeah. is that done where, I guess you're just looking at the back of the head or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't we have to watch it. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, yeah, I'm um, just curious how this is done. Uh, well, it was done actually through, the way that we did it was by showing the reactions, right? So it was showing ah. uh, the reaction of the man getting the blowjob not the woman giving the blowjob. Right, okay. And then she just sat up. And you get and the she picture. she sat into frame. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And put two and two together. Exactly. Okay. We hear so much about the Bechtel test, and I know it's kind of made its resurgence, sort of the idea. Yeah. Can you talk about um, Passion Flicks films in relation to that? Yeah, well, so it's interesting, that test, um, it's, you know, two women have to be in a scene and not talking about a man or a relationship, right? That's one of the things, right. you know, she has to have a job that I think doesn't relate to the man. There are very specific things that when I first heard about this test, which I, I didn't actually know that much about it until recently, but uh, when I've, I was like, that's the most ridiculous criteria ever for a movie. But then when you think about these movies that are out, you're like, oh, right, they would never pass those tests. Um, and so the fortunate thing about ours is that they do. So our Afterburn Aftershock, um, while the two women might discuss the relationship, they don't talk about it very often. It's more of a passing, a passing comment. But most of the time they're talking about their business and how they're going to build their business and what they're going to do about it and how they're going to structure their conversations with certain people in order to build this business. Um, so I think we definitely passed on that one. Uh, Hollywood Dirt, we passed on that one too because we certainly do have two women talking about uh, things that have nothing to do with the relationship. <laughs> Um, and uh, and then on Hollywood, uh, so that was Hollywood Dirt, Afterburn, The Trouble with Mistletoe. Uh, that whole movie was about relationships, so I think everybody was talking about relationships throughout the entire movie. But he was basically the only man in the movie. There's only one, there's all a bunch of women. So I think we're good there. Um, and then Matchmaker's Playbook, well, I mean, it's about matchmaking, so we're going to talk about relationships, but it's mostly the men were actually talking about the relationship all the time in that script. So the women actually never talk about the relationship. They never get together and talk about the relationship. But the men do. The men get together and they're like, oh, are you falling in love with her? I think I am. Oh, so maybe it's the opposite. <laughs> That's interesting. And yeah. so it's not like, I mean, locker room talk. It's actually, it, it almost sounds like you, you've reversed in some ways the roles of that. Yeah, there's, there, there's no locker room talk in the vulgar sense at all. Um, the conversations that the two men have are, have you kissed her yet? I think, you, I think that you're lingering a little longer than necessary. I think that you like her. I think that you're in falling, are you falling in love with her? What? No, no, I'm not falling in love with her. That's silly. I've got to go now. You know, so it's more of those kinds of conversations. Um, but the men talk about it and the women don't. Interesting. Yeah. Our women have their own lives. With the characters, whether it's the actual book or the film, do you think that the viewers or the readers want to see someone who's just like them or they want to aspire to someone that's just slightly above them somehow? And I know above them is sort of a, a, a bad term, not, not in a, a negative sense, but... I think when people watch movies, they want to be able to relate to that person in some level. So we might not be... Uh, Wonder Woman because we don't have any special powers but I feel I can relate to her on the ground that we're both women and she has a personality that I 
can, uh, well, that I can relate to. She's very positive, so in that way, maybe I can aspire to be as forgiving and wonderful and courageous as her. So in that regard, yes, we all, I do think that it's great to have female roles that we can aspire to on a personal level. I don't think it's necessary, um, I don't, ne don't think necessarily that I want to aspire to being, you know, that business person or that, um, you know, that actor, or I don't want to be the person in their work life, but in their way of how they deal with relationships, how they communicate with the people that are important to them in their lives, I feel that that's important for us to aspire to. I, I do think that's a good influence for us. I'm wondering what research you've done on the, the people in terms of like demographics. So do you know like your, your actual viewer, who it would be, where they would live, what types of stories they like? So I, I know that most of them are female. Uh, I don't know their age range, but my assumption is that they're over the age of 30. Um, but we don't ask anybody's age. So we've never actually done, we're so new, we've only been around for four months, we've not had a chance to do a survey. But um, just, just from the general assumption of romance novel readers, my assumption is that they're over 30. Um, and uh, they're all over the US, they're actually all over the world. We have a lot of subscribers outside of uh, the US as well, even though they can only watch the original content because we can't license content for the entire world quite yet. So um, it, it takes a lot to negotiate content for each country. But um, so our demographic, mostly we believe women 30 to 60. We believe um, that they are all over the US, but mostly uh, in the middle of the country and, and Florida. <laughs> Interesting. But we do, have, we do have those demographics. We haven't spent too much time uh, focusing on them, but a lot of them are, I think they call them the flyover states. Right. And do you know sort of what types of stories or, or there's, it, I think you'd said something like, you know, romance is not really one size fits all, so there's so many variations. There are so many variations in romance, and that's the wonderful thing about it, because there are so many genres within romance. Um, we don't know specifically which, mo which movies are going to do well the next time, or which books are going to do well. We, we can only base it on whether the book was a bestseller and where it sold, and hopefully we can get those same people to watch Passion Flicks. Um, so, as I mentioned, we just like to do something a little different each time we go into the next movie so that we can try and satisfy a different group as well. And also, you know, bring somebody that loved Afterburn, Aftershock to Hollywood Dirt. They would never have read Alessandra Torre necessarily if they're reading Celia Day because they're two very different writers. But now that they've watched Afterburn and they went, oh, look at that, Hollywood Dirt, that was a great movie, I'm going to go and read Alessandra. So we love that we can share that with the fans as well, that we're able to introduce the authors to them as well. Yeah, I enjoyed seeing the authors on set, like I said, from the yeah. two featurettes. It was, it was interesting to see these young women that, you know, one of them, I think, had grown up near the town in Georgia. Yeah. Just sort of her own take on the town. I thought it was great where she yeah. said, you know, they're salt of the earth people, but if there's a scandal, they'll, they'll all turn and, you know, Absolutely. you should, like a church scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, uh, it was great insight to have. It's such a great book. I loved Hollywood Dirt. That's, that, Hollywood Dirt is an example of a, a great book to turn into a movie because there is so much in there, so much in that book that allows you to really create a very rich movie. 
with so much you know, intrigue and, and different things that happen. But it was also very hard because it's a very long book and we had to obviously take out a lot of things. And most of it sets, takes place in the small town in yeah. Georgia? Yeah, almost all of it. As a producer and a director, what advice can you give to authors on, a, let's suppose somebody sets out to write a, a romance novel, but they know at some point they'd love to have it adapted. So what advice can you give? Because I know you'd said earlier that sometimes things are too heady or it's in someone's mind and you can't really portray that. What advice could I give for an author hmm, to adapt a book? Um, or starting out, sorry, I mean, yeah. I should make myself more clear. Just uh, starting out to write a novel, but with hopes to maybe have it adapted later. I think the number one thing for us is making sure that there's enough story in the book. So a lot of novels, are, romance novels are written when it's just the two people that are connecting and it's all about them and we don't know much about their outside lives and or any kind of influences or have a story that goes around it as well. And so that's where it becomes difficult to adapt. So we need story. Okay, interesting. So, so and, and more visuals, it sounds like, than, than sort of this internal... No, we can create the visuals. The, the problem with um, too much internal dialogue in a book and then trying to adapt it into a movie is that if that's the only thing that's driving the book, then we have a hard time adapting the movie. But otherwise, almost all these novels have internal dialogue and we use a lot of it. What we did, funny enough, um, in Matchmaker's Playbook, uh, which it's a great story, but so much of it happens in our main character's head. And so we had difficulty initially tr coming up with a way of how we we're going to portray this on screen because if we only use the words that he says, the, the dialogue that's in the book, he comes out as such a big asshole that no one is ever gonna <laughs> like him. When you read the book, he is delightful and hilarious um, because he, you, can, you basically are reading his mind. So we thought, okay, well, how can we take that really awesome character and put him on screen without making him sound like a total asshole because he's only saying certain things? And so we decided to break the fourth wall and do voiceover. So this entire movie is going to be the character, our main character, looking into camera and saying, that's how I do it. And that ultimately will allow our audience to connect with him and love him so that while he's saying, outwardly saying these asshole things, we can read his mind. No, he's not a bad guy. We know he's right. not a bad okay. guy because right, we right. can read his mind. Um, so in that regard, in that specific instance, we were able to take the internal dialogue and, and translate it onto the screen because we were doing it in, a, the, in film language. We can change the film language to, a, to, to adjust to his personality. But that's very, that's very unusual, and it's not going to work for everything. Um, and so it works for matchmakers because it's a comedy. Uh, so, so when we have others, we need, we need there to be a little bit more of a story that we can uh, follow these characters on. We, we want to see these, act, these, these characters, we want to see these characters do things that are interesting and fall in love. And a little bit of a... Naughty scene throwing here. Well, you know, three naughty scenes. <laughs> three naughty scenes. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on risk and failure. Whew. <laughs> yeah, thoughts on risk and failure. I think that uh, both are vital. So I think you should continually risk um, and you will fail. And when you do, you have to get back up and you have to try again.
because that's the only way that you're going to succeed. And, the, and, and true failure is when you don't get back up and do it, right? So failure is not continuing. Failure is giving up. So there is no option to fail. So with failure, do you think it becomes like a muscle, let's say almost like stage fright, and you go to Toastmasters or something and you, you get better at it. So with failure, you're maybe okay with it more and you've developed sort of tougher skin, or how do you think it works? Because I've seen it in reverse sometimes where failure just totally guts people and they don't get back up. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, there, failure to me is really not getting back up. So that, that is ultimate failure. Getting back up and continuing to do something again and trying again, uh, coming up with an, another idea, another solution, is, is moving forward. And that is risky and it's hard and painful sometimes, but if you don't get up and do it again, then you failed. So I can see, I, I am sure, you know, there are a lot of examples of people not getting up and trying again. But most of the people that are successful have gotten up and tried again, and they will continue to try again, and they will fail, and then they will continue to try again, and if they fail again, they will continue to try again, and that means that they haven't failed. It's true. City of Los Angeles, you said a lot of people who come here are risk takers. Did you feel you were a risk taker when you came? Did I say that I was that people who come to Los Angeles are risk takers? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to see from my notes. <laughs> Maybe you did. Maybe I just I don't know if I yeah. just thought that. Or... Um, well, I think if people are coming to Los Angeles to be in the film industry, that is definitely taking a chance. That's definitely. Uh, but you you have a goal. You have a desire and something to achieve. And if you can remain focused, which is very hard, um, especially in an industry that is filled with rejection constant, constant rejection in every field. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult industry. But if you can continue in it, then you will, you will be successful. You just have to stay focused and keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, and ultimately, hopefully get that job. Yes, hopefully you, you have to be good. <laughs> so keep, keep working at your skill. Sure, sure. I think it's difficult too because no one usually gives you notes on why you didn't get it. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. sometimes they do, no. but oftentimes you don't, and it's all across the board from whatever it is. Yeah. So there's not script notes where someone's saying, you know, we liked you, but no. So you don't know what it is. And it is actually quite difficult just coming from the filmmakers' stand, my my side of things, because I watch a lot of auditions and we make decisions. And my mother's also a model, so, so I come from that world where she constantly goes through rejection and has for her entire life. And while she's a very successful model, she's rejected continually. And you have to, so I've been able to watch that and, and, um, and see how she just keeps going. Okay, next, okay, next. Um, and then from my side of things as a director, I will look at actors and I'll go, uh, well, you might be good, but you don't look the part. But they, and so I can't hire you. So it just so it's initially it's it's all it's so subjective, and so if I then get an, an agent who comes back to me and says, "Can you give me feedback?" which many times they do, um, if I can give feedback, I will. But keep in mind, if I audition two hundred people, I can't give feedback for two hundred people. I don't have that kind of time no. at all. So it's not that I didn't like you. Very likely that if you, if you are in a room auditioning for me, there is something about you that I like. 
And so you, you made it there, well done. Congratulations to you, keep going. You're in the room, so you made it there. <laughs> that, that should be, that should be acknowledgement enough that while you didn't get this part, there were 200 people that were going for the same part as you, and only one of you can get it. So 199 people will be rejected, but 199 people still made it into the room, I still recognize them. There are a couple of actors that I go, every single movie I, I go, oh, let's see if we can put them in this role. Oh no, it's not gonna work, unfortunately. And so they're contacted constantly and said, hey, maybe you'll be in this role, and then they're not. And it's not anything other than it could be timing, it could be hair color, it could be eye color, it could be the author wasn't a big fan, or you're too tall for the female actor, or too short for the female actor, or, or you know what I mean? It, there are so many different aspects that go into it that have nothing to do with your ability to perform. So that's all I have to say to actors, keep going, keep doing it. Looking at your IMDb, you have 31 or so producing credits. I'm sure going to be more at the time of this release. So, Which production taught you the most? Wow, I learned a lot on so many of the different movies that I've done. So it depends on, you know, what, what did I learn? <laughs> um, I made, I've made a lot of movies and I think that the ones that have taught me the most are, um, I made a movie called Havenhurst. That one taught me a lot. It was a horror to make, it was a horror film. <laughs> it was very difficult and I realized there are many things that I will not do again. So that's a great thing to learn. Um, uh, great movie, I'm very, you know, the movie ultimately ended up being very good, but uh, the experience for me as a filmmaker, was not, as a producer, was not a great one. Um, the things that I've learned the most, I think, I mean, I've made, I've made a lot of movies. I think ultimately the, um, best lesson that I've learned, which is making from making the Passion Flicks movies, is that I need to enjoy the experience from start to finish because it is very hard to make a movie and it costs a lot of money. And if you're not enjoying it, then there is no reason to do it. So I learned that maybe from making some of these movies prior to this, prior to Passion Flicks, um, realizing that uh, if I'm not in, uh, from from you know hindsight, I did not enjoy making a lot of those movies and I do enjoy making the Passion Flicks movies. They're fulfilling, they make me happy, I can't wait to make the next one, whereas prior to that, I was not enjoying them, it was more of a job. Um, and uh, not to say that there were bad experiences, that there were, I made some great movies and I really enjoyed the people, and fortunately, actually, now with Passion Flicks, I get to bring so many of those people onto my productions. But sometimes um, when you're working for other people and you're, you're getting notes from, from them, they're not necessarily the notes that um, I would, how would I say this? Sometimes um, their interpretation of what the movie should be is not my interpretation of what the movie should be. And that is filmmaking. I mean, that's, that's the creative process. Um, I don't necessarily want to show women in a certain light. And so I didn't enjoy that specific film. And now I get to show women in the light that I like to show them, so it makes me happy. I just like to have positive experiences on film, and I think that's the important thing. Tiki Bar TV, which was a podcast that I did, a video podcast that I did, um, was a perfect example of making something and really enjoying it every single time you made it, because it was funny and the people were great. Um, and so now I get to do that again, every time. You, you should, if you, please do come to one of our sets when we make the next one. 
we are laughing and joking and having the best time. The crew that I have on all of my movies are almost the same crew for the last year. They just come, they transplant back to my, uh, they all come to my new, new sets because we have great experiences and it's just so much fun. Yeah, environment is so important. Environment's vital, especially mm -hmm. it's high pressure, yeah. it's time sensitive, and, um, and you have to be creative within these confines. And, um, and we don't have the luxury yet of being able to say, oh, we'll just do it tomorrow, or we'll just pick it up, and let's just lengthen the time frame for this movie. We need to shoot these movies in 15, 16 days, and we need to get them out. And we have fans that, you know, we release the movie on one day, the next day they say, where's the next movie? It takes five months to make a movie at minimum. And so we are trying very hard to get them out as quickly as possible. So we need to make the experience fun. Um, and we need to make sure that we are all in this positive, creative um, environment so that we can create the best movie. Sure, too. And if you're doing sensitive scenes where, you know, maybe they're not nude, but it's still it's sensitive for an actor yeah. to have it where you feel safe. That, that's what I was saying. I felt that when I watched um, the behind the scenes. Yeah, Just sort you. of a feeling of, of being safe. Yeah, it's very important that the actors are comfortable on our set. And our, my crew is extremely re respectful. And every single time we come into any of these intimate scenes, I have a conversation with my actors. I need to make sure that they're comfortable. We will rehearse everything with clothes on. We will then move forward to starting to take clothes off. The sets are closed. The, um, and, and we're constantly talking about where a hand should be, what it should be. This is not just, you know, um, willy-nilly, go ahead and try things. Um, we're very specific on where the camera is, what it will do, where we're following hands, and what I want those hands to do. Um, so, and I have to make sure that both my male and female actors, uh, actors feel comfortable with the intimacy that I need to portray. So I know you've produced numerous movies, you've worked for other people, but you wanted to direct for a very long time. And I was wondering what that journey was like and now to finally be able to direct at least three movies now more, it sounds like, yeah. are on the horizon as well. Well, I did two movies prior to Passion Flicks. I directed two movies prior to Passion Flicks. Well, three movies, actually. I started out as an actor and then I went into directing. And after directing my first feature, I realized it's really, really hard to actually get it out and do things. And then I went into producing and then I produced for the next 10 years. Um, and uh, it was after I had my kids that I realized I wanted to do something that's more creatively um, fulfilling for me. And I went and met with uh, an executive producer who I had produced a couple of movies for before. And she is an awesome woman. She works at Lifetime now. Her name's Sharon Bordas. And I said to her, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, actually, I want to direct. And she goes, hmm, okay, I'll let you direct. I'll, I have a movie now. I, you want to direct it? I went, yeah, <laughs> sure. She goes, okay. And within a month, I was in prep on that movie and directed, and that was called You Cast a Spell on Me. And that's the one that Joni saw. So it all sort of, yeah. um, having that lunch with her basically changed my life and brought, brought us to Passion Flicks because I, she said I could direct that movie. I directed it, Joni saw it, she loved it. Joni contacted me and now we have Passion Flicks. That's basically, <laughs> that's the short story. Um, so I got to make two movies for Sharon. I made that one and then the following year they hired me to make a Christmas, a Cinderella Christmas 
which was a uh, Christmas story, also a love story for Ion as well. Um, great experience, that's where I met Emma Rigby, and then as soon as we made Passion Flicks, I asked Emma Rigby to be the first female lead of Passion Flicks for Hollywood Dirt. So it, it all just sort of worked together. I was very fortunate. Of course, it was um, you know 15 years of slogging <laughs> to get to that point, but um, I was very fortunate to be given the opportunity by a great supporter of women. So to know that somebody believed in you that quickly, where you were probably just coming thinking maybe down the line there was something, probably weren't expecting it so fast. What was that first day on set like? Terrifying, empowering, both? Um, it was uh, it was exciting actually. I, I felt I definitely felt that I was in my own and I, I owned it for sure. It, it was a very positive experience. That entire movie was wonderful. Uh, again, the, the two lead actors that I worked with, Ryan McPartland and Nikki Deloach, um, had great chemistry. We had great chemistry together. And so we, um, we, we still are in contact and we still want to make another movie together. So it was a really positive experience. I knew exactly what I wanted as a filmmaker. I had a great DP with me. Um, and so, uh, he, so he, and he was very knowledgeable, you know, a lot of experience. Um, oh, actually, on that one, on that one, I didn't. I had a, but I had a great, I had a great DP. She was new to the new to the field in that particular one, um, but she was so supportive. So I had the the DP that had a lot of experience on the next movie on Cinderella Christmas. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, but it was a it was a positive experience. I mean, everything was it was just fun. And I think once you are doing something that you are passionate about and that you really truly believe you should be doing. Um, you do a great job and you excel in that. And so that's why to me it's not considered work, it's considered play. So I can do it forever, which is great, and have a great time. So going back to that first sort of experience, it was also the chemistry and the environment. It worked, it all seemed to kind of work. Yeah, the chemistry and the environment. I mean, I think at the end of the day, and I'm, I'm yeah, fortunate to have been told this by a lot of my crew members, is that the, the environment is created by the director. So the director, basically, the mood on set is going to be based on how the director is feeling that day. And if I was throwing tantrums and you know, um, yelling at everybody, probably it wouldn't have had been a it wouldn't have been a great set to work on. But you know, I arrived and we were laughing and joking and um, having a fun time from the second we started. And so everybody was laughing and joking and having a great time, and that really helped. We actually. Um, uh, my producer Gina, who's the producer on all the movies as well, um, she uh, she and I have a no asshole policy on the set. <laughs> we actually give people a warning. So when we hire them, we say, "Hi, listen. The only drama that happens on the set is going to be on screen. So if you're going to be dramatic in any way and cause problems, you are welcome to leave. You don't have to stay. Nobody is making you work here. If you don't like it, you are absolutely welcome to leave. But if you do like it," We'd love for you to stay, and let's have a great time. We're going to go and make a movie. And it's not rocket science, and it's not brain surgery, and people's lives aren't on the line here, so let's just go and have a fun time creating something. And so that goes over really well with a lot of crew members. And if there, there have been a few times when we've had some crew members that have been, um, and actors, people that have not been nice. And so we kindly invite them to leave. 
So the, having Very that rarely. sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. well, I would hope so. But yeah, it happens. It yeah. definitely does. It, it just sometimes just people clash, whatever. Yeah. I think sometimes, too, having a sense of humor, sometimes I don't always see that in people. Yeah. And even if it's just going to the grocery store, you know, yeah. it's rare. And maybe it's just because LA is so crowded and everybody's thinking of being somewhere else, doing something else. Yeah. But just having that sense of humor and maybe people just feel like, okay, I can relax a little bit. Yeah, I'm very funny on set, apparently. <laughs> uh <-huh>. um, <laughs> uh, I, I love laughter. I mean, romantic comedies are my strength. So it's really important. Uh, that's what I love to make the most. So Hollywood Dirt was definitely a great one for me. It's an empowering woman, but it's a comedy. And it's a romance. And then Matchmaker's Playbook, also a comedy. What was actually hard for me was Afterburn, Aftershock, because it's a drama. So I had to try and, you know, you know, figure out how to make a drama more than um, and, and still keep it light and funny on set because there's so much dramatic, so many dramatic scenes in that uh, movie. But if you see the behind the scenes, as soon as I call cut, everyone's laughing and having a great time. I whistle a lot, so it's people, mm. uh, you know, I whistle and I sing on set a nice. lot, which is somewhat embarrassing because I don't realize that I'm doing it <laughs> until the boom operator or the sound mixer will come up and just start recording it and then they'll play it back and I'll be like, oh wow, yes, that's me whistling on set. Um, but it's, it, it keeps it, uh, there's a levity then to set so it, it just keeps everything light and fun and, um, and I think that's important. But romantic comedy is definitely my strength, I say. Although I did like making Afterburn Aftershock. <laughs> if I'm not currently a Passion Flicks subscriber, can you tell me why it would be a good idea for me to sign up with my busy life and yeah. taking care of all these things? Well, I think that we need to surround ourselves with more positive content that has messages that are things that we can use in our everyday life in communication, um, in any relationship. And I think people should sign up for Passion Flicks because we focus on love, passion, romance, and happy endings. And I don't think we have enough of that in our everyday lives. And so even just the other day, I was looking for a movie and I went onto every channel. I went to network television and I went to Netflix, sorry Netflix, and Amazon and all these different um, channels looking for something that I could watch that would make me feel good. And everything was depressing. It was sad, it was depressing, all the movies that are out were depressing. And then I realized I actually own a platform that has sexy, positive, empowering content and I turned it on and I turned on the, the Thomas Crown Affair. The Thomas Crown Affair is a great movie. It's sexy, it's fun. You have a cool woman who uh, is as sensual as can be and she uh, has a lot of chutzpah and control in that relationship where he's also sexy and cool and it's, it's Pierce Brosnan, I mean, at the end of the day, and <laughs> Rene Russo. Um, but it's such a positive movie and it was fun and exciting and I couldn't find anything like it on any other network or platform. And I think that's why people will love Passion Flicks because we want to make sure that each of our movies is passionate, is fun, is sexy, and will hopefully inspire you to have a, you know, a great night and a great conversation with somebody. And even if you don't, there's, there's was it tissues and ice cream or? Yes. Yes, that Listen, sounds good if, too. At the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, we, we actually have this whole section called the emotional emergency kit, which ultimately we'll, we'll be able to sell. But um, when, a, when somebody goes through a breakup or you just need a good cry 
and there's nothing out there that's going to allow you to have this positive cry, right? You don't want to sit there and watch two people hate each other. You want to watch something that's going to take you on this emotional roller coaster and it's going to lead you to where you ultimately want to be emotionally. And so if you need a good cry, which we do after a breakup, quite honestly, give me a tub of ice cream and give me a sad movie. Um, we have that for you. Or if you, and then right afterwards, we actually will recommend go and watch Chutzpah and Hoo-Ha. Well, you've had your good cry. I'm glad that you're feeling, you've got that out of your system. Now go and watch the story about a woman that picked herself up. Go and watch Moonstruck, go and watch Baby Boom. Go and watch something where she just picked herself up and she went and she achieved something. You can do it too, go. So we're there for the woman specifically. Um, I think men should watch us too because I think that they'll learn a lot, but I think we're really there for women. And you have Amelie too? We do, oh, yeah. I love that film. Great yeah. movie. Mm -hmm. So again, something positive and yes. she's not overly reliant on a partner. She's no. just kind of like living her life. and Absolutely. These, these movies are, um, the women are perfectly fine. They're in their lives, going through their lives and they're normal human beings. And then a, ma a man shows up and basically like throws a wrench in um, and it's like, oh God, what am I going to do now? I kind of <laughs> like you. I'm not sure if I want to have this relationship. And, uh, and then they have to figure it out. They just, you get to watch these two people who are probably stubborn. I mean, we all are, right? Uh, probably scared because generally speaking, when it comes to relationships, we're all scared of rejection. We're scared that we're going to get hurt, that this one's not going to work out well. Why would it? Uh, we're insecure. We're all, we're all these things. And so when you can watch two people who are also these have those same emotions, figure out a way of how they can be together. Um, I think it inspires a little bit of hope and hopefully a little bit more encouragement to get out there and find, find that person for you or communicate with the one that you have in a way that's gonna ultimately uh, make you have a stronger, better, sexier relationship.